We this morning are going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, if you'd like to turn there. It's page 1006 if you're using a pew Bible this morning. This morning, Pastor Ron and Kay are away. Uh, they, uh, every year, we have an annual uh, pastor's retreat, pastor's conference that our district uh, has for us, sponsors for us. And for years, uh, it was in Billings, Montana, and we would drive to Billings uh, for a two- or three-day conference. And, uh, and finally, last year, they decided that instead of driving to Billings in February every year, they would send us someplace warm. And so last year, we got to go to Nevada. Uh, this year, we get to go to Dallas, Texas, and enjoy the 40-degree weather, which will be nicer than here, I guess. But... I'm not packing my shorts to go this week. Pastor Ron and Kay, our conference is, is this week in Plano, Texas, and uh, Pastor Ron and Kay left yesterday to get a couple of days of vacation time in ahead. So if you can pray for us this week, we would appreciate that. Um, we'll be home. Pastor Ron and Kay will be home Wednesday night. I'll be home on Thursday. And uh, so we would just appreciate your prayers for that. We're in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Um, before, we, before we read the scripture, let me just share this with you. A couple of, probably a couple of years ago now, uh, on a Sunday morning, we, every Sunday morning, the worship team comes early, and the staff and the worship team gather together here in the sanctuary, and we, we pray just before the day, uh, praying that God would strengthen us and help us, prepare us for worship. We pray for you as you come and as you're preparing to come as well. And, and a couple of years ago, one of our worship team members prayed a prayer that, on a communion Sunday, just like this, and said, God, we're so grateful that you uh, allow us to come to a table rather than an altar. And he probably prayed even a little bit more than that and expounded on it. But, but for me that day, picture, the picture of what he was praying just exploded in my mind. Um, and, and in fact, you've heard that phrase because, because since, at least since that day, maybe before that, and I just missed it, but since that day, since, that, since he prayed that prayer, I know Pastor Ron and I have talked several times about how meaningful and how important it is that we come to a table rather than an altar. I think about it each month as I set these tables up and prepare the communion elements. God, I'm grateful that we come to a table and not an altar. What does that mean? Why is that an important phrase for us. Why was that such a, a revolutionary prayer for me that day? That's what I want to look at today. Hebrews, all of Hebrews, but Hebrews chapters 8 and 9 and, and especially here in chapter 10, they give us an answer to that. Why a table and not an altar? Let's read together in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, 
When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The book of Hebrews was written to probably a small group of Jewish believers, of Hebrew believers who had come to know Jesus as their Savior. They lived outside of Rome a little bit, and their church was coming under persecution. It had been, and it was going to continue to have more persecution against it. And so the writer of Hebrews, whom whom we're not sure exactly who that was, there's some debate about that, but the writer of Hebrews wrote these instructions to this small band of Christians. They would have been familiar, very familiar, with the sacrificial system that came out of the Old Testament. They would have seen it, they had heard about it, they would have been a part of it. But now, these thousands of years later, we know it, we have a faint idea about it, but but we don't see it the same way that these believers saw it or pictured it as they read through Hebrews chapter 10. So this morning, as we dive into Hebrews chapter 10, I want to turn first back to the Old Testament. I want you to turn, if you have a moment, to Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus is the third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's in, Leviticus, it's in Leviticus that when you start your annual read through the Bible in a year plan, and you read through Genesis, and it's pretty exciting, and Exodus has lots of great stories, and Leviticus is where you begin to get bogged down. It's the law. And it's hard to read. In chapter one, you probably have read chapter one if you've worked on that go through the Bible in a year plan. But I want to read chapter 1 this morning. I want to talk about it a little bit because I want you to have the picture that I think the recipient of the book of Hebrews, that letter, that, that book, would have had. 
so that you can better understand the impact of what these words were. We're just going to read chapter 1 of Leviticus, if you have your Bible there. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. Say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's son, the priest, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar. That is the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head, the fat, the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It is his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or the goats. He shall bring a male without blemish and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar and he shall cut it into pieces and head and its fat. The priest shall arrange them on wood that is on the fire of the altar, but the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering that is pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering is to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, and he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar and wring its head off and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out of the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop and its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side, the place for ashes. He shall tear it. It opened by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It's a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This is just chapter 1. This is just the instructions for a burnt offering. There's five major offerings that, that we read about in Leviticus at the beginning of Leviticus. A burnt offering, a grain offering, a fellowship offering, a sin offering, a guilt offering. And their instructions are much like this one. There's a little change in the midst of them. But they're detailed instructions. And dare I say even gruesome instructions. The instructions for burnt offerings include instructions for a daily Offering and then a weekly offering and then a monthly offering and in fact an annual offering. Not all of the offerings were given that often, but these burnt offerings that we just read about here in Leviticus chapter one, they were. They were offerings that the people of Israel were to offer regularly, repeatedly, over and over. They were to bring an animal. That was to be brought to the tabernacle at this time, the temple later. An animal that was to be brought and then inspected. For the burnt offering, this animal had to be male. Had to be perfect. No spots, no blemishes, no disease, no deformity. If it was a 
sin offering, it had to be a female. The female, females of the herd were, were worth more. They were, the, they were the ones that helped grow the herd. So they were even more costly, more valuable. They had to be somewhere between one week old or three years old. Some of the offerings called specifically for a yearling, but some of the offerings left it up to the herdsmen to bring. It had to be domesticated. The animal that they brought had to come from their herd. They could not trap or catch a wild animal and bring it. It had to come from their own collection. If they didn't have a collection, then they could buy, if they were, if they were poorer, they could, could buy a bird, which is part of what we read there at the end. But they had to bring it from their own collection. It had to be, it, it was costly. By design, it was costly for them to bring an animal to be sacrificed. Following the inspection, the worshiper would then lay his hands on the head of the animal, making that animal his substitute, putting his sin on the animal. And then the animal had to be slaughtered right there next to the altar. It wasn't a professional service that did that. The worshiper, the one who brought the animal to the altar from his home, put his hands on the head and transferred his sin to that animal, and then he himself would slaughter the animal. The death of the animal was an integral part of the sacrifice. And the blood would be poured out in this process. The priest would be there with a bowl to collect all of that blood. He had some important instructions as well. The priest would collect the blood in a bowl. He would take and splash it on the sides of the altar, probably hitting the opposite corners so that all four sides of the altar would have the blood of the animal scattered on it. The worshiper in the midst of that is still working on his animal. He's skinning his animal. He's cutting it apart into pieces. He's washing the hind legs and the inner parts of the animal. The priest at that point is is putting wood on the top of the altar, keeping the fire burning all day from morning to evening. The priest's job was to keep the fire burning, to keep it stoked, to keep it hot. As the animal then was cut into pieces by the worshiper, the priest would have the fire going and the animal pieces then would be placed on to the altar. In a burnt offering, the entire animal would be burnt up. All of it, completely, totally It would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord, we read there in Leviticus chapter 1. Representing complete surrender to God. That God receives the entire thing. These are just the instructions for the burnt offering. 
If you read through chapter 2 and 3 and 4, all the way through chapter 7, there's instructions for all of the different offerings that the Israelites were to bring. Sin offerings, which comes a little later in the instructions, sin offerings were even more detailed than the burnt offering. Many of those same things, though they would cut the animal up in a, in a different way, but that sin offering involved a number of other steps as well. The priest had to make his own offering before he could offer anyone else's offering. And he would take the blood and he would spread it throughout the tabernacle, throughout the tent of meeting, later the temple when that comes to be. Spreading the blood, preparing the place. The priest would help dispose of the animals that had been cut up by the worshipers. There would then have to be another sacrifice for tribal leaders and another sacrifice for members of the community. All of these offerings repeatedly offered over and over and over again, emphasizing the need for a complete, satisfactory, substitutionary sacrifice that atones for the damage, the volition, and the cost of our sin. This is the plan that God established for people to see their sin to realize the depth of their sin and their need for a savior. So the writer of Hebrews, when he writes these words that we read in Hebrews chapter 10, that's the picture he has. That's the picture the readers have of these offerings. And he says then in Hebrews chapter 10, for since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. He says these sacrifices that have been offered, these sacrifices that that are prescribed in Leviticus, these sacrifices that have gone on for years and years and years, these sacrifices, they're just a shadow. They're just a picture, a blurry picture, a dark picture They're just a picture to help us to see, to give us a glimpse, to spur our understanding, the depth of our sin, and the need for a sacrifice. He says these sacrifices are a shadow, and they don't work. They work for a little while. They are doing what God has asked them to do, but they don't work overall. In fact, the, the writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, he says um, they never make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, if they would have worked, if they would have been enough, otherwise, they would have ceased to be offered. Wouldn't they have ceased to be offered if they worked? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of their sins. If it worked, they would stop doing it. No one would need to do it over and over and over again. But it doesn't work. It's just a shadow. It's just a picture. It gives us a reminder of our sin over and over and over. These sacrifices are a reminder of sins every year. Why? Because in verse 4 it says, it's impossible 
for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's the doom of Genesis chapter, or of Hebrews chapter 10. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sin. But then, this next portion of Hebrews chapter 10 is an unbelievable portion to me. This, is a, this, this, this next couple of verses is a flashback in Scripture. The writer of Hebrews gives us a, a, a flashback into a conversation that happens in the heavens before Jesus is ever sent to earth, a pre-incarnate conversation that God and Jesus have. And it, and it really is a quote. It's a quote out of, out of Psalm chapter 40, verses 6, 7, and 8, that the writer of Hebrews uses here as the conversation between Jesus and God. Consequently, in verse 5, it says, when Christ came into the world, this is what Jesus said. Sacrifices and offerings have, have you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus says to the Father, he says, in essence, these sacrifices, these sacrifices that you have prescribed for your people to do week after week, month after month, year after year, over and over and over, you never desired those sacrifices. You never wanted those sacrifices. Those deaths, over and over, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of deaths you did not desire. They do not bring you pleasure. They do not bring you joy. Jesus says, Jesus says to God, what we've been doing, that is not what you wanted. You wanted something more. R.K. Hughes says it this way. I'm just going to quote him because I can't say it any better. Says the fact was, though God had instituted blood animal sacrifices, he had never been pleased with them and did not see them as ends. He had established them as object lessons to instruct his people about the sinfulness of their hearts about his hatred of their sin, about the fact that sin leads to death, about the need for an atonement, about his delight in those whose hearts were clean and obedient and faithful, but there is nothing appealing to him in the sight of a dying animal. God had no pleasure in the moans and the death throes of lambs or bulls. What he did find pleasure in was those who offered a sacrifice with a contrite and an obedient heart. That is what God found pleasure in. Jesus, in this conversation with God, says, you have not found pleasure, you have not found joy, you have not, you have not found that in the death of animals, but instead you are looking for obedience. 
Jesus knows that God has desired not sacrifice, but obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Does that phrase ring a bell for you? If you remember it? There's a story of King Saul in the Old Testament who is the king of the Israelite people and he's waiting to go to battle and, and, he, and he knows that, that he needs God's help. And so he knows there needs to be a sacrifice made before he goes into battle. And Samuel is the prophet. He's the one that's supposed to lead the sacrifice. And Saul, who is not, who is not a good king and is not a great follower of God's commands, gets impatient And Saul says, I'm the king. I can do this on my own. I can speed up the process. We can get this done so that God will bless us and help us in the coming battle. And so Saul himself leads the sacrifice, if you remember the story. And when Samuel comes and finds out what Saul has done, he says, this is 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel says to King Saul, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than a sacrifice and to listen better than the fat of rams. Samuel says to Saul, to obey is better than to sacrifice. For you to listen to the instructions of God and to obey what he has asked you to do is better than than having this sacrifice on this altar, which you thought was the greatest thing. Your obedience was even more important than that. And he closes that passage, if you're in 1 Samuel chapter 15, he closes that passage by saying, this is why. This is why you will no longer be the king of Israel. This is why God is going to raise up another. This is why God is going to call someone else. It's because you don't have the right heart. You thought you were doing something that was good, and yet your disobedience shows your heart. Jesus, in this conversation with God, this pre-incarnate conversation says, sacrifices and offerings you haven't desired, but you've prepared for me a body. Burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure in them. And then Jesus says in verse 7 of chapter 10, he says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. I have come to do your will. I will be the obedient one. I will obey so that we no longer have to worry about sacrifices. and burnt offerings, but I will obey your will. The writer of Hebrews continues on there. He he explains it to us. In verse 8, he says, "When, when Jesus said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings, those were according to the law. Then he added in verse 9, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, the offerings. He does away with the offerings in order to establish the second, and by that will, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus does away with sacrifices and offerings, 
by finally providing the final perfect submission and obedient will, submissive and obedient will in the Son. And it's by that will, it's by Jesus' will that we are sanctified once and for all. The writer then continues on and he gives us a picture that I want to close with this morning. The idea of the table and the altar. He says in verse 11, every priest stands daily at a service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ is offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting for a time until his enemies should be made a footstool For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The writer of Hebrews gives us a picture of what was. He says it was multiple priests making multiple sacrifices repeatedly over and over and over, standing at the altar. What's wrong with coming to the altar? It's never finished. It requires us to bring something that has to be judged and graded and evaluated to see if we can find approval. It's rigid. There's lots and lots of specific rules and regulations. It's messy. It's loud in a bloody and guttural kind of way. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't end with the priest standing daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. He says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down in a throne, at a table, What's good about coming to the table instead of the altar? The table is already prepared for us. There's no work that we have to do beside the altar. Or there's no work that we have to do beside the table like we did at the altar. It's already prepared for us. We don't bring anything to make it better. There's no potluck at God's table. You cannot bring your own dish thinking you'll make the table better. You're welcomed because the host is generous and gracious, not because you were deemed acceptable, because we weren't. Tables, tables are for belonging rather than distance. Tables are for conversations rather than pleas for help. Tables are for unity rather than discord. Tables are for sitting and staying and enjoying rather than a continual empty motion and busyness. Tables are filling and satisfying rather than empty and chore-filled. Tables are for bread and wine rather than body and blood. 
tables are for families, sons and daughters of the king, rather than enemies. I'm so grateful this morning that we can come to a table rather than an altar. The writer of Hebrews continues on and he says, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. We no longer come to an altar, but instead we come to a table. That's what we do here together this morning. That's what we're going to do corporately together is to come to the table. Inside your bulletin is an invitation. I hope that you have taken time to to read through that. Maybe even each month as you see it, take a moment to read it, to think about it. The invitation to come to the table that God has provided for us. We have some that are going to help us. The worship team is going to lead us. If you have been with us in these last months during this COVID times, we have have been taking communion here at the front. We have a couple of elders that will dismiss you and we We need each of you, we hope that each of you will come forward and at least pass by the plates. Um, There's a double cup in there, a cup that has uh, bread and a cup that has juice. We invite you to take both those cups and to take them back to your seat. If you're not uh, not comfortable this morning taking communion, uh, we invite you just to come and to pass by so that you can go back to your pew. Uh, That way there's no crossing over. Some of you maybe are unable to come forward. If that's the case, we just invite you to to flag down the elder that's in your aisle and uh, they'll make arrangements for you to get your communion elements that you need for that. I'm grateful this morning that these are tables here. I'm grateful this morning that we will sing together a worship song And we will not be interrupted this morning by the braying of beasts, by the slaughter of animals, that the blood that we celebrate that was shed today was not from a bull or a goat or a lamb or a bird, but from a perfect Savior. That's our hope this morning. The worship team is going to sing. We're going to worship together. The elders, elders will will release you from your pews so that you might take communion together. Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away slain for all And we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. So we share. 
body, the once and for all body that makes a way for us to have our sins forgiven, take and eat. And then the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for our sins. But it doesn't have to be the blood of a goat or a bull or a bird. It's the blood of Jesus. Take and drink and be grateful. Let me pray as we close. God, we have hope this morning. Because Jesus, before he even came to earth, said, you do not desire sacrifices. You desire obedience. And so I will go. And it's by his will that we have hope this morning. That his perfect obedience made a way for us to come to a table instead of an altar. Help us rejoice in that today. Help us to find the hope that there is in that today. And help us to rejoice that Jesus Christ became the once and for all sacrifice for our sins so that we might sit at the table with the King. We pray these things today in the name of Jesus.